This is episode five of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast, at least for the time being, is to do a recorded version of the concept you might know from Downbeat Magazine's Blindfold Test and The Wire Magazine's Invisible Jukebox, to play tunes from musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. What follows is the conversation I had with Charles Rumbach on November 18th, 2015, in my living room in Rogers Park, Chicago. Charles is a Chicago-based drummer who plays in many jazz settings while also frequently working with and accompanying composers and songwriters. The track you're hearing now is What We Have Left from the 2011 EP The Fastest Way to Become the Ocean by his longest standing and best documented project, Color List, a duo with saxophonist Charles Grzynski. At the end of this episode, you'll hear the title track from In the New Year, Charles's brand new quintet album under his own name. To find out more about Charles's recordings, upcoming shows, and that sort of thing, check out charlesrumbach.com. A note about my editing. As with all these episodes, I cut out time, sometimes a minute or more, of us silently listening to each track before we start talking. This could create confusion, since we sometimes refer to something that happened at the beginning of a track, but this isn't included in what you're hearing. Sorry, but maybe that'll inspire you to go out and buy these albums. On the other hand, let the record show that there was no time cut from the beginning of the Paul Motion Trio track that you're about to hear. Charles actually did identify that song, title and all, in about three seconds. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W hyphen I-S dot O-R-G, where you'll also find information about all the tracks that I played for Charles. You can even like the Now Is podcast on Facebook. Okay, Charles Rumbach. Yeah, I know this. I've, yeah. Well, it's a motion trio, and I think it's it should have happened a long time ago. Yeah, this is an amazing album. I think, yeah, this is the studio version, yeah. This is an amazing record. What's amazing about it? 
I first heard this trio, like, I remember hearing Paul Motion for the first time, like, in high school. I got this, um, I was just, like, getting into jazz and, and Charlie Hayden, and I got this um, um, Montreal Tapes album or CD, and it was, uh, well, you know, we, there's, there's a bunch of different ones, because it was like he was the guest of honor at the Montreal Jazz Fest, and each night he played with somebody else. And so the first one that I heard was the one with Paul Blay and Paul Motion. This is like music for me that like a lot of music that has become some of my favorite music. I didn't really like it at first. Why didn't you like it? I think I just felt like at that time what what like instantly hit me about music that I liked or that I, you know, that I just fascinated me at, at that age was like virtuosity right and I think I remember listening to this and being like I could play that I could, you know like but as I listened but I but it was weird because I didn't like hate it I just there was something about it that bothered me yeah. and it made me though that that uneasiness made me listen to it a lot more and eventually like it just totally grew on me and Did like all three of those guys in that trio are some of my favorite musicians now then later on through that I just I checked out more of, of Paul's music and didn't take long to discover the trio and like fall in love with those records. Did you at some point realize that what you were previously identifying as oh I can play that no problem was actually something much more subtle and complicated? Uh, or did you just appreciate the beauty of what he's doing? Yeah I don't know if I I don't I guess I just started to hear like the clarity of their ideas is what over time like grew on me. And like, like there was always something about the music that, that I was drawn to and I guess as I, the more I listen to it, the more I'm just like... What are the ideas being expressed here? That you're well, I'm, well one, like in this trio in particular, leaves so much space that I think most people that I play with and that I have played with, there's only a few, few musicians that I play with that are really, that doesn't make them uncomfortable if you leave that much space, especially being a drummer. Yeah. Like, people really want something from you in a certain way. Right. I mean, is he keeping time here, would you say, at all? Yeah, the time's there, you know? Yeah. But I think it's elastic, kind of, yeah. too. I don't know. I elastic meaning sure. it's slowing down and speeding up. Yeah, like they're like they're together, but they'll like come apart too, and like maybe one person. I guess like they share the duty of timekeeping between each other. You know, I guess that's lots of bands do that, but like they do it in a way where like you can just hear like it's amazing some of the records and the live ones too, like how much they trust each other in their playing. Huh. You hear people leave space and do that, but I don't hear people leave that much space that often when it's a form. And when, like this is not like free improvised. They're like playing a form, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's some musicians that do that, but I don't know, that's like one of many things that's just, that I find really amazing about this group. Yeah, what are, what are the other things? I mean, I'm particularly interested in what you, I, I mean, I, 
this seeing you play a bunch of times like this definitely seems like a major touch touchstone for like the way that you like use symbols mm. um, and and the space I guess those are the two things I would say but I'm curious you probably have more insight into yourself <laughs> I don't know putting it into words sometimes is tricky for me but uh, yeah just listening I mean there's like an infinite dynamic range too that sometimes I guess there's like music that falls into the jazz category it's so often like you get big dynamic range but it often happens in sections or like the band builds and then goes right. down together and this can be like one moment is one dynamic the next moment is another you hear, I hear that a lot in like free improvised stuff you yeah. know but again like I hear things that this group does that I don't hear lots of like jazz people doing, you know, jazz like it, with yeah. capital J kind of jazz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who it is. Okay, I don't know, my first thought was Blakey. No, same time period. simple. That cymbal sounded like Blakey, but then when he started playing other stuff, he's like a little wilder. It's not as controlled as Blakey. So, I don't know, man. Then I thought maybe Chico Hamilton, but I heard the trumpet, and I'm like, I don't know. That doesn't sound... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's Max Roach. It's Max Roach. Yeah. I was after and I was going to say ah. next. Ah. <laughs> This is awesome. Is this yeah. one of the like Clifford Brown things? It's not. It's in, uh, 58, so I guess a little bit after. So uh, just a couple years. It's uh, Booker Little. But it's Booker Little. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, Ray Draper on the tuba, and yeah. it's, it's tuned by Ray Draper. He's 18 in the session. Wow. Man, Booker Little's one of my favorite musicians. Yeah. Yeah. Why? But I mean that album out there, out front. Yeah. Out front. It's one of my all-time, like, all-time Desert Island records. Man. It's so amazing. And, uh, yeah, man, Max Roach, that's crazy. Yeah, you said it was... He plays... Yeah. It's interesting, because he has, like, even way back then, he had elements of, like, this, like, rawness in his playing. But then it's also, like, can be just super precise and clean, too. Yeah. What is the rawness you're hearing? Like at the beginning, like in that first, very beginning, he was doing Dude, this like back. double rim shot kind of... I'm in charge of the rules. Go back. Okay, let's hear it again. Point it out. Right here. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of like something you might hear like old, old time Ellington kind of a groove, but yeah. he's playing it like looser and like so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that symbol sounds amazing. This is something too, man. Like a lot of the, like new jazz people listen to like these old records like this, and they have such drummers have such a light touch, which is beautiful. Max had like an amazingly light touch, but that symbol, he's hitting that symbol, yeah. man. You do not get that sound yeah, yeah, yeah. by like pussyfooting around on the symbol. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, this is awesome. What's yeah. the rec- What's the album? It's called uh, Deeds, Not Words. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, Fifty-eight. Uh, wow, I heard I heard this then, but I didn't recognize it. Would you say that he's Max is being something like a frontline instrument here? Um, I mean, he's definitely like accompanying the melody and now accompanying the solo. So I wouldn't necessarily say frontline, but I guess in a way I could see that it's his session. You know what I mean? Like he's leading the group in a way, like driving it. Yeah. Whereas like on certain other things where he's a sideman, you know, he can be like so slick and just like, not background, but like, you know, really just pocket all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I guess, you know, after knowing that it was him, it would make sense that this is his session. Yeah, yeah. He, now, now that I've rewound, it would take us a while to get to the solo, but it's, he has a great little solo. Max's solo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Should I, I could skip to it. I could sure. probably edit it up. Well, I don't know. I mean, let's, how long is it to get there? It's real, no, just, oh, you want to hear? I can just let Well, it I don't know. Sometimes I like to hear the context, yeah, yeah, what yeah, he's yeah. coming no, from. No, 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 no. I'll let it roll. It's just like a minute or two. I think it's... it's Wait, you were 18 on this? Yeah. Yeah, I guess he was from New York, he just like, what did he do in school? Like, hang out with people. He wrote the two. So this is what? You said like 58? 58. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's one more on this too then. Yeah, I'm not sure if he died, I said. I thought it was him. Yeah. I couldn't hear it so well on the end head, but I just know now that it's been put in the next, I thought it was Bristol. And who's playing bass then? Uh, we're calling it. It's not Rich Davis. No, close to Davis. I don't know. Mark Davis. Oh, Mark Davis. Oh, yeah, of course. You're right. Okay. okay. For me, Mark Davis. He's like, I'm a bunch of these people. There's those names that I look at things like, oh, yeah, I should remember that name. But I don't remember. I don't remember this. Well, I felt that way about Richard Davis at one point, and then I started noticing like Richard Davis. Everything's awesome. Yeah, really amazing. I think he still lives in Madison. Yeah, uh, yeah, Graham took a class in Graham Stevenson. Oh yeah, yeah. He, he took a music class in UW. Oh, really? Like a big Richard Davis person. Nice. I think Red Beast played. Oh, he played a long time. Signature Max thing too, like, like even when he digs in and this and it's like totally swinging, he's not even playing any cymbals. 
Right. Like there's no hi hat even in that whole like section of the solo. And it's swinging so hard. It's amazing. Okay, that's Wayne. Yeah. This I know this tune. Uh, is this from Miles Smiles? No. Is it from '64 or four and more? That no. a little later. No. It's later. '67. I've listened to this or maybe a lot. maybe it was recorded in '66. Okay, so it's um. I don't. I don't know what album is. Well, you don't have to on the album. It's, it's uh, not that important. What, I'm more interested in what you hear in the music. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, it's amazing. This band is like. This is one of the first bands that like totally blew my mind when I was a kid. Like, yeah. When I first started getting into music, this is one of the first bands that I heard, and it was kind of by accident because I was just kind of randomly checking stuff out at that point. I didn't really have when I first started listening. Like, I was just kind of like shooting in the dark sometimes. Yeah, in terms of just every genre or whatever? No, in terms of just like, I was interested in jazz, and I would go to like the library and like and like check out LPs and stuff, and also like buy cassettes, and I would read the liner notes, and that would tell me what else to check out. Yeah, this quintet, like I was like instantly in love with. What, what, a lot of this what did you find most about it? Tony Williams, Tony Williams first and foremost, but, but, I mean everything though, all of the players are incredible. I think if there was anyone I was late coming around to, it was Wayne just because his playing was so abstract and like, I mean it was beautiful, I liked it, but like I was so mesmerized by Tony Williams and Ron Carter. Yeah. What, uh, so in like a track like this, what are you listening to? Well, I mean, first of all, like right off the bat, like even when he's keeping time on the ride symbol, the hi-hat's going, like just playing all this stuff, it's like nobody plays that and gets away with it. Like, it's, it's really, it's beautiful, but like, yeah, Tony Williams, nobody played like Tony Williams. Like even still, like people put, people imitate that, but it's not the same. People can really copy it well, but in this context, I mean, Miles Davis is like, you know, older and giving them the space to do what they wanted and the music, and like, so Tony Williams is like driving in this amazing way, and you know, drummers like imitate this and do that, and people imitate this band, and but you know, do you, do you imitate this band? I or what Tony saying? I mean, definitely when I was young, like this was like one of my biggest like influences. Yeah. Probably like what at that you, age, my biggest. Like, what I, would you cut from this? Like, what would you be doing? I mean, I was just like, holy shit, you can do that. Like, you can do anything you want behind somebody and just do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, okay, now I'm gonna keep time with the ride someone, not play anything else. Now I can just like play all this crazy stuff behind yeah. some, you know, not crazy, but like now I can play out of time with the hi hat and like, right. just decide to use the symbols for color and. Or, or just drop like amazing bombs, like yeah. go from nothing to like explosions yeah. out of the blue. Yeah, it's pretty amazing how he's also doing crazy stuff but also playing with so much space. Yeah, but so grooving too, man. Like him and Ryan Carter, like never ever lose the pulse. Yeah. 
I remember the, the version of Footprints from Miles Smiles where they like, they keep going back and forth between like double time and half time and like that. I mean, it's like, the way they do it and it's so slick and just like effortless. Yeah. Really, as a kid, like just blew me away. And now I listen to it and there's other things that amaze me about the music. Like I still, that's obviously great, but yeah, just like everything about it. I thought maybe for a second 33 Jim White. Oh no. But it's not. Yeah. The drums sound different than this. And definitely the playing is not Jim White now. I can hear that. Yeah. I recognize that guitar line for a second, but I maybe not. I don't know. I would I don't know if this counts as a hint or not, but I would I would suspect you've heard this before. Could be wrong. And I'll give you a big hint. It's not Yola Tango, is it? I never heard Georgia play like that, but sometimes I was surprised. <laughs> well, it's when you. I think that I, I think that's actually two drums. Is it not? Uh, I I always assumed it was, but is this Tortoise? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. Funny. Why, why is that funny? Now it sounds like two drummers. I just didn't recognize that those drum sounds would be good. Yeah. This is early tortoise. Um, I mean, it depends what you consider early. <laughs> I don't know. It's TNT. It's TNT, okay. Yeah, the first track. Cool. TNT. Oh, it is, okay, cool. Yeah. Was this, uh, I guess then this was not a big influence on you, is it? This, this I came to I came to Tortoise late, you know. Like I mean, I was living in Kansas until 2001, and so I kind of came to Tortoise. I remember specifically when I it was after. Well, the first album of theirs that I had heard, but I think it was like already had been out for a minute. Was Moon is now living will never die. Yeah. But the first, but I think when I first saw them, they came through Lawrence, Kansas, where I was living at the time. Uh, touring on the Standards album. Mm -hmm. I saw them then, it was amazing, it was great. So yeah, yeah, now I hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, I didn't, I mean, it, I, I don't know, I, they were influential to me in some ways, and, and like, I guess, not necessarily so much in the way I play, but like more in like the way that Especially like when I first came to Chicago, I was like, man, okay, this sounds like Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like to me, like that was really awesome. I was like, yeah. What is the, what would you, how would you define that sounding like? Chicago? I don't know. That's what's fucked up about it is like, how, what, how, why? Yeah. 
I don't know why. Yeah. But like, that sounded like Chicago to me. And so, that, I should say more than like, influential is how I played it. It left an impression on me like, like, okay, this is like a different level of, of like, sincerity to the way people work. Mm -hmm. Like work every day on their thing. Right. And collaborate instead. Yeah, and, and like all Crush, those, everybody in the band, everybody in the band like plays in a thousand different projects, they all do like lots of different things. Yeah. And yet, when they come together, it still sounds like, yeah. like that. Yeah, I certainly think of this as sounding like Chicago in the sense that my impression, I, I, I never been to Chicago once until I was like 28, but I, uh -huh. Chicago loomed large in my mind right. from college on because of like, because of Tortoise and a lot of other bands right. like Tortoise. And it was like cross-genre collaboration, like something that was like cross-genre, but like not like, oh, fusion, like the way that like, right. this, like not even, I don't mean jazz fusion, I mean like, right. I mean like, like we're a klezmer band, but we do whatever, you know, just right. whatever some period. Right, it was just like, like that happens in New York, but it's different. Yeah. It's not like, I don't know. I can't make such a broad statement, but like. <laughs> yeah, you can't. Like, but it, well, but I mean, it's just different. It's just like, yeah. and it's also like, I think now the Chicago scene is different than it was then too. Like, this was the sound of a certain time in Chicago. You know? Yeah. And that is still here, and has just expanded in a lot of different ways. Now it's like also it's like this still, but also different. Yeah. Yeah. So was it like this when you, you moved here in 2001? You said 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So was it? Did it sound like this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I would go. Because to, that's like you know, um, Jeff Bishop and yeah, and right. Like, and like yeah, and Rob Mazurek's Bob Sings solo. Right, and like the Chicago Underground records around that time, and like you know the the tourist records, you know, and the Isotope things, and you know a, a lot of this music. I know some of the recordings, but I saw all of the people in this band and then in other bands on the scene play live much more than I was familiar with the records. You know? mm. So it's like the sound I know. Yeah. It's funny because like we were talking about like like huge dynamic range earlier. And this music to me is like dynamic emotionally but like just in terms of literally being dynamic. Mm. It's kind of monotone in a way. You know? Yeah. But it's complex. Yeah. Also. Uh, it's called uh, Cantamos. 
Oh no, Cantarnos. Cantarnos. Oh yeah. I guess. I have. Yeah. yeah. This is awesome. What is a? Uh, what are you interested in? His compositional style. Compositional. He's incredible. Yeah. As a piano player, he's incredible too. Kind of, I think, as a player. A lot of the same things that I felt about Paul Motion are true about Andrew Hill. What are those? Like, um, how he'll just play, he'll just, he'll just play like, yeah, this is really a good example. Feeling. Yeah, yeah. Really what, and like he'll cut off an idea and then continue an idea and he'll like leave something unresolved and then resolve it later. Compositionally and and improvisationally, like his his compositions are that way too. And I think he's like an example of somebody who just got better and better as he got older. Like his later records, I love just as much as like these. Seems yeah. like people talk about these a lot, but I saw him I saw him play at the Jazz Showcase with the quartet with Nashit Waits and Gregory Tardy and John Hebert playing bass and it was one of the best shows I've ever seen and I saw the group, the same group at the Iowa City Jazz Festival that same year beautiful, beautiful band and just like really just going for it completely every like, or I don't know, both times I saw them kind of funny, like kind of like the tortoise thing too like in a way like complex emotionally even though dynamically it's almost kind of monotone in a way like it kind of just stays at this one dynamic level but it's heavy starts and stops and Nina plays like such a beautiful way and Jim too but they also play in a way that sometimes it, like it's like um, it's kind of abstracted like like the beat for instance or whatever it could be like oh, you just did a total weird bop right there yeah so, right and just kind of bounces around sometimes in a strange way that is that is beautiful like and if you try to talk about it in technical musical terms, it's like, I don't know, I don't know how to like put that to words. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it's did, kind of like she's holding the time. I mean, it's a kind of cool, like, the triplets of like the little guitar time. And yeah. he's almost being like a lead instrument accompanying her voice. Right. Or an accompanying instrument. Right, 
I know, man. I wish so much that I could have like actually seen them do this live together because I bet it was different every time, and I bet it was like really amazing to see. And you know, like anything like that, probably sometimes it works better than others. But yeah. like, I'm sure there were some really incredible moments. Yeah. We did. I did a session with her last summer in France, and we did this one piece like really late at night, and we had done several takes of it. And I remember like I was trying, I was trying to kind of just be like functional drummer, like stay in the pocket kind of thing. And she was like leaving so much space between chords that like sometimes I wouldn't like line up with what she was doing and but I was trying really hard to lock in and I remember like being like man just like at a certain point we did a few takes and I was like okay I need to just like be true to like what I'm really hearing here and like maybe they're just maybe Steve Albini and maybe Kenan you know are not gonna be into this but I'm just gonna do a pass like with what I want to do like I'm just thinking this to myself and so I did that and, we, I, and it went like totally in some weird places and she was playing piano and I was in the ISO booth like playing and she, and, and, it, and it was really feeling like amazing and great and so we got done with the take and I remember being like oh shit like they're totally gonna hate this and so I went into the back into the booth and, and Ken and Steve were both like yeah that was really great I think that's the take I'm like okay cool and I'm like Nina that was like really crazy like we were finally like totally landing together in some places and she's like oh were we oh cool I'm glad because I took my headphones off <laughs> she was like I wasn't sure so I took my headphones off <laughs> Which was awesome. It was like she she also I think she really hears it like in this really specific, beautiful way that doesn't necessarily translate to notes on a page or like a way that you can talk about it technically. It's like just like pure feeling. Art ensemble? No. Like from that, like, uh, well, yeah, depends what you mean by later. <laughs> yeah, is this from like, uh, maybe it's not that late. It was recorded in 72. Oh, um, it came out as I definitely don't know this record, I've never heard this piece before. Yeah, it sounds like. It sounds like Ornette, though, compositionally, now that I hear it. Yeah. But who's... Yeah, who else is on it? Well, hold on, let me hear it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. Wow, I don't know, man. This is awesome. Uh, 
Is it Blue Redman? Yeah. Is it Don Cherry? It doesn't sound like Don Cherry, it's but it kind of does. There's two drum players. There's two drum players. Okay, maybe that's why. It one of them is Don Cherry? Yeah. Okay, I don't have any idea who the other one is. Bobby Bradford. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Wow. And two drummers? Yeah. I guess that Blackwell, I don't know. Yeah, and Billy Higgins. Oh, really? Both of them? Okay, yeah. cool. I don't know who the bass player is. It's Charlie Higgins. It's Charlie Higgins? Yeah. He played some stuff that made me think it wasn't him. That fast thing. That, like, vibrato thing that he did, I was like, okay, that's not Charlie Higgins. <laughs> nah, he did that. Wow, this is awesome. What album is this? So it's, um, it's the same session as science fiction. Oh. Um, which and I knew this from the complete science fiction sessions, oh, but I guess it came out some years later as Broken Shadows. Oh yeah, okay. I've always wanted to hear that. I've never heard yeah. it. Yeah. So it's on like there's a box set of science fiction and all the. Other I've always wanted to hear that box set too, because science fiction is like one of my favorites. Yeah. It's such a crazy album. That first, I think it's the first track. With the vocal, what reason could I give that yeah. tune? That's, I love that tune. So beautiful. Yeah. So both that one and this do what I think of as like one of the one of many classic Ornette moves that I was hearing you doing on compositionally on a few tracks, especially notably the first one on your record mm. of like a long sort of flowing almost timeless melody over like much busier playing. Uh huh. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. Does that sound? Yeah, right. yeah, that's a good way to describe it, for sure. Yeah. When you write that, it's, it, I mean, I guess you're not thinking of Ornette or anything. Like, yeah, not necessarily, but I mean, definitely, probably, like, it's somewhere in there as far as, like, you know, things that I have heard and, like, definitely affected the way I hear things. I mean, how can you play the kind of music we play and not be affected by Matt Coleman? Yeah, right, right. If you weren't affected by him, you were affected by somebody else who was affected by him. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is awesome. I need to, I need to get this. Like if, like if, like if, like if, like if, like if, like if you, like if you, like if you, didn't listen to, you know, someone who doesn't like listen to like jazz or free jazz at all might hear something like this and be like, oh, this is so dense and complicated, especially if you jumped in the middle like this. Yeah. But it's like, so much of what they're playing is like these like beautiful, joyful lines. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I don't know if that makes sense. Like, do you, I don't know. No, it totally makes sense. I remember, um, in fact, what you said reminds me of an interview that I read one time with Pat Metheny. I think they were talking about that album that he made with Ornette, yeah, Song X. Song X, yeah. And, um, and he said something like, being a kid in Kansas City, he heard those records kind of like without knowing about all the controversy that surrounded them. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't know that like people thought Ornette was like nuts and that people thought like that music was so just like, oh my god, I can't believe you're playing this way. 
he was like, man, it just sounded like people just having so much fun to me. Right. Was, which is awesome because I didn't, I didn't come to it that way. I came to, I heard Ornette's music for the first time after I'd already like heard new like John Coltrane and of course Miles and like Charlie Parker and and Pharaoh Sanders even like you know like I was I knew like tons of Pharaoh Sanders records before I ever knew Ornette. And now, of course, I know it, but like, I had heard a lot about it before I ever heard it. So how did it sound to you when you first heard it? Uh, I mean, that's funny, I don't really remember because I think, because I had, I think that's a, like, for me it was an example of like, all of the things you've heard about something like affecting the way you hear it for the first time. Yeah. I think like, for a while I just like, I don't know. And I knew what it was, what I was supposed to think of it. It wasn't until later that I just heard it for what it really was, you know. Uh, it was freshman year of college. I signed up for one of those like get 12 CDs and then you cancel the thing, yeah. you know, deal. And I ordered the Shape of Jazz to come, which I had like just like read about it. You heard about it? Yeah, yeah I heard about it somewhere. And I like I listened to a bunch of like regular jazz and whatever that means, you know, like two guns and stuff. And I'd like heard of free jazz. I think I had like some vague perception that because I had like maybe seen something somewhere. I was yeah. like, man, this is going to be crazy. And oh, I right, putting right. it on and being like, yeah, this is like, yeah, I know, man. You know, underwhelmed. This, like, this is pretty. Well, no, it was just like I think this. They're playing melody. Like I guess right. just the what they were doing that was free. Just did. I felt the same way, man. I I remember specifically that album coming to it in college and being underwhelmed because people had built it up to be such a like document of lunacy. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't, you know, it's was really pretty in some parts and then chaotic in other parts, but I don't know, it's like, I don't know, man. I almost never agree with music writing that I read anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's so personal and, and people write about it so matter-of-factly, like just, it's this and it's that and it belongs here and it comes from that and I, I just think it's almost never that simple. I have no idea what this is. You fairly recently worked with one of the people. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay, hold on. Josh is one of my favorite people and musicians. And it's funny because like musically I think sometimes I think we're so different. We live in different worlds musically. But there's a lot of overlap, you know? You mean just like the world of the social world of what sort of music people make or? Well the social world but also just the music. I mean yeah. like 
you know? Like, Josh was fucking touring with Nine Inch Nails and shit, like... Yeah. I mean, that's very different from the gigs that I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's awesome. It's beautiful. I personally like, like Nine Inch Nails, for instance, as an example. I personally don't relate to that music at all. Like, I don't have any of it. I never listened to any of that. I've checked it out enough to know that, like, I respect what Trent Reznor does, but I don't ever, like, have the desire to listen to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like... And that's, I think, that way with a lot of the music that Josh is involved with. Yeah. And it's not that it's not good. It's really, it's like at the highest level. Yeah. But it's very different from who I am, you know? Well, what about this? Is this somewhere between the two? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think it's between the two. Like, it's, there's a lot of elements of, like, of that yeah. and the world that I'm involved in. What are they And elements? that's what's awesome about Josh. Like, Josh is, like, Josh is like a true musician. He hears things like how he hears them and he doesn't get limited by genre or even like camps with people that he works with. He's he's amazing and he's like a really inspiring guy. I feel like the best colorless album we ever did was Square White Live. Yeah. And we did that in Josh's basement, like completely live. Oh yeah. Like Yeah. It's like in a way like one of the most lo-fi ways we've done a record is you know. It wasn't like in a fancy studio with separation and everything. We did it like in a room. And Josh made it sound amazing, like gigantic. Yeah. He's a really incredible person and musician. So what here, like, what here is in that gray area between Nine Inch Nails and Colorless or whatever? Yeah, well, there's like, you know, the elements of like electronic music, like as far as like the beat goes, you know, there's like those like, crazy like double time subdivisions happening but it also feels like live drums live drums live drums live drums like the bass is very like organic and like flowing and like I don't know it could almost sound like something that left would play sometimes you know? yeah totally but yeah it reminds me of like scope in a way yeah but I don't know who it is but it's not that you know yeah, so I don't know, this is like a cool example of, and also like a track that to me doesn't sound like what I would, even though it came out probably around the same time, is like some of those albums that we were talking about earlier that sound very like defined the sound of Chicago to me. Mm -hmm. This, I don't think of that way, even though it was, well, maybe Josh was living in New Orleans at that time, but yeah, I don't know. He kind of transcends that, you know, he transcends all of those boundaries and categories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. This track is another one that has that thing I was trying, I keep trying to define of like, the feeling of like, beauty without sappiness. Or like, yeah, It's totally. like emotion, for, I don't know, it's like a certain ideal for me in music where it's something feels like it's an expressing an emotion without quite spelling it out for you. Right. It's complex emotionally. Like it's it's like this song probably means something very deep to a lot of different people and what it means to those people is very different. Yeah. Like that yeah. That's what's beautiful about about a lot of that music. A lot of this kind of music. I love Liz so much. I talked to Liz the other day. 
I haven't talked to her in so long. She's one of my favorite musicians. Together, like for a very short time before she moved away. Like, I kind of knew her, like, after all this. You know? Okay, so you know this is the whole time you just did yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I know this record. And, and I mean, everybody on this on this album is like incredible musicians. Jim Dorling is awesome. Like, Josh Abrams is amazing. Of course, like, lines up with a lot of everything we've talked about today, like the sound of Chicago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Jeff Parker and Josh Abrams are two people that, like, yeah, I think of that way. Fred Lumberholm, too. Yeah. I mean, so many people, obviously, so many people. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, this is great. What do you like about it? I don't know, man. This is another thing that's, like, hard to put into words. I mean, it kind of, like what you were saying about the Ornette thing, like, Kind of, you know, it's like it's joyful, but it's also it's it's all it's all of these emotions at once, all these layers to it. You know, you hear you can you can pick out any certain element and make it one thing, but it's but it's how everything works together. Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, drone music, people say the, say that drone music and certain things come to mind and I guess there's a lot of different things that fall into that world of drone sure, music. Sure, I mean, this isn't monotonous. I know you didn't tone. like mean it in a, yeah. any way, but I, like, but you know. Well, in this case, it, it is, it is like, it is drone music, but like, also it's so much more because it's like, just so heartfelt, it seems, you know. Yeah. Yeah, was it uh, an amazing band? Yeah, I mean, when I first heard Town and Country, it was definitely like one of the key moments in like expanding my understanding of like what bands were allowed to yeah, do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I never actually saw them live. <coughs> Me neither. They, you know, Charles Gwazinski, I remember like you know he was into them. We had talked about them in, in the recordings, but they did a show at the Empty Bottle that he went to. It's funny because this is like way before I knew Liz. I probably met Josh, but like we didn't really like play together or know each other then. And um, anyway, Charles was like telling me about the concert. I remember like he was just telling me that I think they played an empty bottle and he was, I think it was a record release for this album actually. Yeah. And he was like, oh man, it was so great. They were like, wait, no, it was the album after this, Up Above, I think. Okay. But he was like, yeah, it was great. They were just like, everybody just like on stage and they would like, one of them pick up an instrument and play it for a while and then the other one pick up. And, you know, it was like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even assigned what instrument they would play. Yeah. <laughs> it just, they showed up and played. Yeah. Beautiful. I think in a lot of ways, maybe that shaped colorless too, because I know Grzynski was like heavy, heavy into this. What do you think shaped it? Maybe just the total freeness of it. Like you're not limited by anything, except I guess with this quote-unquote drone music. Like there, because you because it starts on such a heavy tonal center. 
Yeah, I mean, you can play other stuff on top of it, but it's like almost like fighting gravity. Like you just come back to that key, you know, yeah. so to speak. But I mean, but it's also beyond that. So. So I think there are elements of that that like found its way into our music, and not necessarily yeah. intentionally, but just because those ideas were there. It's deep, I like that fighting gravity. No, really, because I mean like, when there's like a heavy like, tonal center like that, you can play whatever you want, and it comes back. Right. So it's like liberating to have I don't know. I mean, it could also be restrictive, I guess, depending on who you were playing with and how it was working, but... Any yeah. <laughs> thoughts? Every time I want to make a guess, they play something that makes me not guess well, that. What, what were your guesses and what were the things made you think something Well, guess? I thought about Hamid. said I didn't think it was Fred. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know who it is did, playing the drums. Did Hamid play with uh, Archie Shep? I thought about Archie Shep. Did I say that? You just said I that. I said that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I, think so. I never heard of that. I don't think so. I don't know who the drummer is. It's Hamid. It is Hamid. Yeah. And it's Fred Anderson. It's Fred? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, he played something where he went to a different key that I didn't sound like Fred to me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Now that you say that, of course, it falls right in the place when I hear it. Sure. And it's Harrison? Yeah. Yeah. Powerful music. Yeah. What? I saw, I saw this trio at the same show that I saw Andrew Hill at in Iowa City. Oh shit. That was an amazing, like, couple of days. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, we saw some amazing shows, and I met, I met uh, a couple of people who have become like some of my best friends there. So what's uh, what's so heavy about this? Well. This, I, you know, I saw these guys play a lot of times, a lot of, like when I first came to Chicago, I saw them play a lot. And the old velvet is something that's like one of those things that makes you feel like you're of a different generation now because there's young musicians in Chicago who never, you know, just because of their age never experienced that. And to me, that's so defining of my Chicago experience that I can't imagine being a young musician playing on the scene and there's no velvet. And when the velvet switched over, I mean, it was cool, but it was very different. And that didn't, it didn't last long. 
I mean, when Colorless, when we were like getting started doing stuff, we played some shows in the Velvet, and it would be like Fred working the door with someone at the bar, and like one or two people in the audience, and that's yeah. it. And yeah. And Fred would like come up and talk to us and just be like so warm and and just it was amazing. It was really incredible. Yeah. Like everything about that place. And then you go there other times and you see like you know all of these heavy, heavy people and yeah. Hamid's groove is really heavy. Like Like even when he goes out of time like that, you still feel that pulse, like it's really driving always and the forward motion is, is really undeniable. <laughs> always, whenever I hear him with anybody, I feel that way. Yeah. And powerful, it's so powerful. I don't know, man. It sounds silly to even try to put into words like what I mean. Yeah. Plays, like on the drums. No, totally. I, it's, I, it's impossible I, to describe. Um, in the, the first one of these episodes with Fred, he was like, I just knew it was him immediately because that was the only other time I did one. And I was like, well, how did you know that? And he was like, it's nanoseconds. It's like, and he went, <laughs> like he made like a sound. Yeah. Like he looked, but I remember even though I knew this, but he, he went like that. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to describe. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, you know, he played older recordings of different people, different drummers, and there's elements of that, but there's also all these other things. Yeah, it's impossible to put into words. But it's, yeah, it's very, like, true. It's very true music. The way he plays is just... Are it's, you... it's honest. I mean, you can't... Somebody who, you know, if you've ever met him or talked to him, it just sounds like his personality, you know? It right. sounds like who he is. Yeah. Do you, you think can't, like, fake that kind of play? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do you think that, uh... I mean, I guess, when you're playing drums, are you expressing who you are? I mean, I guess, like, when it's working, yes. <laughs> Probably sometimes more than others. But yeah, I think a lot of my favorite musicians, I can hear that, you know, I can hear, you can hear, I mean, especially in improvised music, obviously, it's, it leaves you more room to do that than in music with more of a structure, but sometimes not even, I mean, you can hear who somebody is by how they play. I think it goes beyond, much beyond music, yeah, I really do. I think you meet Hamid, you talk to him, he doesn't, like, there's not small talk, it's just like he looks you right in the eyes and he shakes your hand and... Whatever you guys talk about, it's like heartfelt and he means it. It's not it's just like, you know, I think Fred is that way. I think Fred, when you hear him play, you hear Fred yeah. as a person. And when you talk to Fred, you're talking to Fred as a person. It's the same as if he's playing. That's like cool. he's, not, he's not putting on his cello player hat when he picks up his instrument. He's just being who he is. You know, like in the jazz world, people talk about finding their voice and that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it's like everybody has a voice. Everybody already has like a whole lot of things about them that's interesting and complex and like it's who they are. And it's not even like necessarily finding a way to express that. It's just like 
<clears throat> clearing out all of that other stuff so that you can just be who you are. Like you just you play things the way you hear them. <laughs> Thank you. 